I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy Podcast with me, Alison Perry. Today's guest is someone I've wanted to have on for ages. You know when you just love someone's work, so you're almost a bit scared of ever meeting them in real life or having a conversation with them in case you horribly embarrass yourself. That's basically me. But thankfully, my chat with Holly McNish was brilliant and I don't think I said anything too embarrassing, but do let me know once you've listened. Holly is an award-winning poet whose 2016 book about motherhood, Nobody Told Me, was filled with utterly relatable observations in poetry and prose about being a mum. Now Holly is back with her new book, Slug, which is about life, death and everything in between. Her ability to put something like kids' screen time or children's parties under the microscope and just nail what so many of us are thinking, even if we don't admit to it, is something else. Holly is a mum of one and she chats to me about life in lockdown. We recorded this in early 2021, so we were still in the throes of homeschooling and staying at home. Um, We also chat about motherhood and lots more. But just before we get on to Holly, if you're new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe. And if you've been listening for a while, why not leave a rating and a review? Massive thank you. And now on to my chat with the wonderful Holly McNish. Holly, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Um pretty good considering i think yeah i'm I'm all right we should probably explain that this this um was recorded back in january um when we're kind of in the throes of another lockdown and um so yeah just chat to me about what that's like for you right now (laughs) to be honest i think it's all right for me like i'm missing people the same as everyone else i'm (laughs) i'm also missing like little things like waiting for a drink in a bar um Stuff like that that I probably shouldn't miss as much as I miss my family. Waiting for a drink in the bar, of all the things. <laughs> you know, like queuing and getting annoyed that you're not being served. Weirdly, <laughs> I'm sort of missing them. <laughs> it's funny, missing the things that you never expected. Like, I actually, I really miss soft play. I've got toddlers as well as a 10-year-old. <laughs> and I really miss taking them to soft play. And I used to hate soft play. Yeah, to be fair, I've got a 10-year-old, but I'm missing 
trampoline park. <laughs> That's what I'm missing a lot. Yeah, I would like to say that I'm desperately missing my family more than anything in the world, but there are a few things some days that, that take the biscuit, I think. I'm yes. missing, missing my partner. I don't live with my partner. Yeah. And, um, that's, that's a bit rubbish. But apart from that, um, it's all right. I've got one kid. She's 10 and she's sort of as geeky as I was at school. So is she quite self-sufficient in terms of, does she kind of crack on with the homeschooling? Yeah, like so much so that. Uh, at the moment I'm finding it quite hard to fit in work because she sort of finishes all the schooling by like 12 and then it's pretty hard for me to just carry on with work so I've been doing it when she's asleep so for the like two nights this week I was up till five in the morning working but then she sort of comes in and wakes me up at half nine but she's already started her schooling by then so she's sort of like a really good office colleague that knows that I've basically been up all night working. Now, what I want to know, though, in terms of how good an office colleague she is, is she old enough yet to make you a cup of tea? Yeah, so I've... I've, um that's on her list of chores. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Only happens on a Sunday though, so it's not really an, an office colleague thing more than a daughter thing. It's not terrible at all. I mean, I, I think that I'm definitely missing a trick because my 10 year old, we haven't yet taught her how to make a cup of tea, <laughs> but she's definitely at that point. We definitely could. And so I'm really feeling like it's going to be one of her life skill tasks. Same. To be fair, I don't, well, I obviously don't know your, um, life setup but it's just me and her when she's with me so if she doesn't make me a cup of tea like no one else can make me a cup of tea so it's maybe a bit more (laughs) more important I'll use the word important even though it's just about tea but yeah so I've said no it is important because it's like about it's about looking after each other as humans isn't it it's about you know you needing to be looked after just as much as she does I think so and I only give her like chores to do that are actually helpful like I don't do fake or do the washing up and then I have to wash up again and I'm not bothered about teaching her stuff that then gives me more work but yeah and and one meal a week is the current role brilliant what kind of what kind of stuff does she does she make she's like can make like scrambled egg and stuff now and um she she made me a, a, a roast basically wow um but I like sat in the we've only got one room downstairs it's like kitchen dining room and uh lounge um so I was sat there but she did pretty well like I helped peel the potatoes and then she yeah I'm yeah I'm basically just trying to teach her stuff that we actually like like to eat a lot that's brilliant it's not every week don't get me wrong sometimes it's like oh you've you've forgotten haven't you yeah it's fine even the once is amazing you're inspiring me I feel like I feel like we need to um crack on because the most we've done with my 10 year old is a bit of baking and we're always there helping her but actually (laughs) You're so right. Self-sufficient. Crack on and make the dinner, love. That's that's where we need to be. <laughs> I don't know if it's me being lazier, but yeah, it's pretty nice. So that she doesn't have much else to do. To be fair, she's pretty spoiled in a lot of other ways. So I think Aww. a few things a week's alright. Um. So okay, I feel like I need to um properly start the interview by saying that I think this is going to go one of two ways. Uh-oh. So I'm either going <laughs> to let my inner fangirl out and it's just going to be half an hour of me gushing embarrassingly at you <laughs> or I'm going to manage to keep her in check and I'll, gonna, I'll manage to ask you coherent questions. Do you have a preference <laughs> about which way we go? I don't mind. I'll be less comfortable with the first maybe, more embarrassed. Right. Me um, too. I'll be so uncomfortable <laughs> if that happens. Um, so let's, let's crack on and try and go with the second. Um, so if someone listening has never heard of you how would you describe what you do um 
Oh, I guess I'd say I'm a writer who mainly writes poetry. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But yeah, so uh, uh, my name's Holly. I love writing poetry. I, I write it all the time and I've got four books of poetry now with another one coming out. Yeah. But but I guess a couple, yeah, a couple of the books, the one coming out now are a bit different because I've got lots of sort of stories and thoughts and stuff round the poems. And I guess, you know, what kind of sets you apart probably, I'm, you know, from, from, you know, if I was to kind of chip in, um, is that you do, you write prose as well as poetry, don't you? Yeah. So I like, like, not all of them. I've got a few, uh, <laughs> again, <laughs> books. It's good for an interview, isn't it? Um, I've got a couple of books which are just poetry, but there's still a few little stories around them. Yeah, so like nobody told me the the book that I wrote, which is totally poems and diary entries that I wrote from finding out I was pregnant to my daughter being about three. So that's a mix of all of them. Basically, it's like it's like my diary poems, and I've always written my diary like that. There's been like a little bit of diary and then a poem about it. So I just sort of thought it'd be quite nice to to do it to put everything in and and that's similar to when you're performing live isn't it you you tell a bit of a story about about the yeah. poem and then yeah. you go into the poem yeah totally so that's one of the reasons I wanted to put it in the book and it's maybe not a good thing to say like I love I love reading poetry but it's rare that I'll pick up a whole poetry book and read it um just because I often like a storyline or often read factual books um mm. and I like dipping in and out of poetry books but yeah when I'm on stage so I do a lot of <laughs> not at the moment <laughs> I normally do a lot of touring and live readings um and I rarely just read a poem because I just want people to know where I'm at when I start reading it I think it's good though I think it, yeah. it, it, it provides context doesn't it and it I feel like as someone listening to the poem or reading the poem I get more out of it knowing what the story is behind it Oh, good. Yeah, I hope so. It's like I do as well. I always look up stuff when um if I'm reading, like, I don't know, Seamus Heaney, I love at the moment, but I want to know more about him. So I tend to read a lot of stories about the poet while I'm reading the poems. Do you know what it's like? It's like when you're watching The Crown and you start like Googling. Have you, have, <laughs> yeah. have, have you, have you seen The Crown on Netflix? <laughs> yeah, and I started watching all the Diana stuff. And you start Googling on Wikipedia, like what actually yeah. happened? <laughs> yeah. Getting the backstory. <laughs> Was Prince Philip actually good looking? <laughs> <laughs> Matt Smith is though, you know, well, you know. Um, anyway, I'm digressing, I'm digressing. No, so it's you, true though, that's what it's like. But you mentioned that Nobody Told Me, which is your, is that your second book, Nobody Told Me? It is my fourth, fifth, third, third, third. Third book, okay. So that's a collection of poetry from your diary and it's written in chrono- chronological order, isn't it? From the moment yeah. you find out that you're pregnant on the way to performing at Glastonbury <laughs> up to your daughter turning three. Um, yeah. How did you decide which of those poems? Because, I mean, they're filled with your private thoughts. And I'm guessing that when you wrote them, am I right in saying that you that you, you had no intention of making them public? No, I didn't. Um, I don't I don't really mind making things public, but I didn't I didn't necessarily think I was going to share them with people. Um, and I definitely didn't think I'd share the prose with people because that was just the diary. And I'd never... I'd, I'd shared poems before, but I'd not shared prose really at all. Um, but that was my, my agent asked after seeing, or she wasn't my agent then, but she, um, saw a couple of poems on YouTube basically. 
and had been following, I guess, me putting poems online and um, asked if I had any more poems about motherhood. And I sent her, <laughs> I sent her about a hundred. <laughs> and then um, a few of them had the diary entries still around them. Mm-hmm. I just hadn't taken them out because it's all on the computer that I write anyway. I, it wasn't all handwritten that I had to learn type up or anything. Um, and then she asked if I had any more of the actual diary entries. So I sent her them and it was her that said, I think it's much better for people to read if you've got everything but yeah I took I took certain things out don't get me wrong not a lot um but I took certain things that my gran had said about me having um a brown skin child out right. of the book yeah. um because I didn't want my daughter to read them when she right. was older basically so I think there's a few things that she'd said to me that was just too awful about that but also about me being pregnant and unmarried and like (laughs) bastard children and stuff she was a lovely granny but had very old-fashioned ideas which we talked through loads which I wrote a bit about in the book um but stuff like that I just thought I don't want my daughter to read this and I I don't want my gran to read it either because I think we can talk through this stuff um, without me publishing it. Yeah, and I think that's fair enough because I think that even though you are sharing, you know, your your private thoughts and your diary entries, you still get to decide how much of this am I sharing. You know, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, I think it's okay. And also, like, people quite often say that it's, like, really personal, the stuff that I share and write about, like, there's stuff about sex after birth and stuff at the moment, quite a lot about, like, masturbation and things like that. But I don't, I don't really feel like that. Like I still wouldn't share, uh, say, it's just different things for different people. Like a photo of my daughter online or her name mm. or like there was stuff in my diaries in, in, well, in Nobody Told Me when it was just a diary without a book title, um, which was like her favorite, uh, Teddy or songs that she sang me and all of that stuff I took out because I find it much more personal to yeah. share stuff like that with people than to talk about whatever sex or masturbation. Well, same thing. Well, but also the whole, the, the sex and masturbation stuff is stuff that has happened to you and stuff that you have experienced or feel or think. And that's really different to sharing stuff about your daughter or about their family members, isn't it? Yeah. And I feel like it, like I, certain stuff, if I think, Oh, this is a bit, a bit personal, but actually might be good for other people to read or might be a positive thing. Or people have said, Oh, yeah, it's really good for someone to talk about that. But stuff like, you know, the song that I assault my daughter or what she bought me for Mother's Day, it's like, that doesn't change anyone's life. And mm. I don't really want anyone to know, know about it. <laughs> Do you think that you um, write differently now, knowing that what you're writing will be shared? Or do you think that you, like, is there any kind of level of self-consciousness now that you didn't have back then? I hope not, but there's got to be a wee bit, eh? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. The thing, I, I hope not, and I... I'm not sure. Like, I still write way more than I share, which is what makes me think, hopefully not. I don't write poems every day, but some days I'll write, like, ten. I'm not saying they're very good. <laughs> the ones <laughs> I write quickly. And don't I don't, like, work on all the poems that I write and edit them. I tend to do that if I think I will then put them in a book. So I guess maybe maybe I, I censor myself more on, like, the editing. But the actual writing, I still write poems like I write my diary and there's still a hell of a lot that I write that I'm not gonna like I put loads online um but there's loads that I that I don't either because I think they're too personal they're about um 
things that, you know, whatever, I don't want people to know, or those people wouldn't want people to know, or just poems I don't think are good enough or a bit boring. Or well, I mean, do you, I think I'll ask you about that. Do you, because, you, you know, we hear so much about women, especially those with creative jobs, saying that they battle with imposter syndrome or listening to that voice in their head telling them their work is terrible. Like, does that affect you much or are you pretty um, confident in what you're doing? I think there's enough people that have told me that my work is terrible for me to have to have a bit, <laughs> a bit of a thick skin about it. Um, no, I think I'm all right about it. Like, you know, everyone has their taste and I still f- feel like I'm learning how to write better poetry, whatever better means in that sense Mm. and I feel like I've been doing sort of 10 years of studying writing it's just that all the essays I've written other people can read that's sort of how I look at it like I did I studied languages at uni and then I like went on and studied economics so I, I did do language in that way but I don't think you need not that you don't need to like I'm sure it would be great for my poetry if I could go and do like a English literature poetry course but I'm never gonna (laughs) but also I think that's kind of what makes your poem so brilliant is and I think that's what makes them so accessible to people you know I I would say that the your book nobody told me is probably the first poetry book that I've ever bought oh that's nice. you know poetry I, I don't feel is something that interested me before but you've opened it up to this whole new set of people and so do you need to be doing you know an English literature course or you know improving the way that you're writing it because it's doing a brilliant job as it is well that's very nice I still think it's nice to learn and improve (laughs) but yeah I do I do take what you're saying and I do I do worry sometimes about doing workshops and stuff basically because I think people seem to like the way that I write and what if I do then start just mimicking like there's obviously in every learning there's a lot of mimicking going going goes on so I think partly I would become a a more skillful writer but partly I'm worried that I would also start worrying that my writing wasn't good enough and trying to change it or just try and copy other authors that I was studying which I don't want to do but I do also think I can sort of get better in a way that I'd like to I guess and that still suits the way that I write like I read a lot of poetry now and a lot a lot of books in general um and I started writing sort of short stories and stuff so that kind of stuff I just feel like I'm sort of on the job training yeah yeah I think I definitely think there is there are ways that you can improve without losing that sense of who you are yeah I think as long as I keep writing the main thing that I worry about to be honest with sharing the poems is that I'd stop enjoying it so I was never really worried that I'd stop writing um or that I'd like censor myself because I don't don't think I would really I do I do (laughs) I do worry about like family or my daughter as she gets older reading it but I sort of put ideas past her now and also prepare her I guess it's not that I say all right I'm not going to write about and I keep saying it but like masturbation because it'll embarrass her I just prepare her I'm like this next book will have a chapter on masturbation I promise I won't come to your school and do any readings when you're at secondary school which has been like a deal that we've had for like the last two years how do you think Um, you'll cope so you know how will you handle it if in I don't know say four years time three years time 
and she's at secondary school and someone in her class has got a copy of one of your books and they're, you know, teasing her about it or I don't know, <sighs> ripping the piss out of her or whatever, or just reading it out and being silly. Is that something that you worry about or do you just feel like, do you know what, we'll handle that if that happens, it'll be fine? No, I do, I do worry about it and certain things I definitely <laughs> haven't gone like as far as I might have wanted for that reason, just because she's entering the teenage years. So maybe when she's like 20, then it'll be all my erotica that comes out. <laughs> that will be it. Just 10 years of writing sex stories or something. But... um I do worry about it, but hopefully I've brought her up with a sort of thick enough skin and open enough about this stuff. Like we talk about most things and, and so do a lot of her friends now. I think it's quite different. And I just hope if somebody says that she'll be all right or talk yeah. to me or just be like, so what or fuck yeah. off or whichever response <laughs> she wants to give. And what about other people, like other like mums, like I don't know, school mums and stuff? Because um, I, I can't remember which book it's in, but the, the, the poem that you wrote about kids' parties, <laughs> it just spoke to me because we've all done that thing of like, you know, going to when your kids are like three or four and you go along to the kids' party and you've got to wait and stand oh, and yeah. make chit chat and it's just so soul destroying. <laughs> but do you worry about like, the other mums and dads reading your poetry and being like oh oh right oh fine um yeah to, <laughs> I think they're the ones I worry about most sometimes but I think they know it's in a kind of jokey way like I don't think there's many parents that haven't been bored at a kid's birthday party <laughs> and the idea of someone being offended because you don't like as an adult with an adult you know an adult brain you don't find it that enthralling sitting watching a children's entertainer who is meant to entertain people under the age of 10 like if I feel like that's quite a shocking that's one of the shocking things I found about motherhood in particular like being a mum a lot of the older men in my family just assumed that that women enjoyed like you know, colouring in for five hours with a kid who can only draw a triangle. <laughs> Stuff like that, which I think, oh my God, do you know how insulting it is that you think that my brain development up to adult status is then going to be totally, you know, captivated yeah. and enthralled? Don't get me wrong, I found it fascinating. It's like being a psychologist sometimes, looking at a kid growing up and you mm -hmm. obviously, you know, the love and spending time and that sort of thing, like seeing your kid develop. But the actual, like intellectual capacity of any grown adult like of course you're not going to be fully engaged playing hide and seek for oh, five hours yeah. like of course that but the idea that women or mums find that somehow easier or more enthralling than men would is so sexist it's like <laughs> you think we've got the brains of a child to love these things but yeah so I think I don't think they would be the only thing I guess I worried a little bit about is there's a there's a bit in the poem about um sort of spoil posh kids basically that I'm not very good with dealing with um but I think people know that as well like we've, I've got all sort of different friends and the ones that come from more affluent backgrounds like they know what their kids sound like when they say oh do you not have a horse yeah. or something like that like yeah. they know that sounds terrible and also find it funny or like a kid who came around my house once <laughs> told me he didn't like the pasta 
And I was like, but you ate pasta before. And he was like, yeah, but I don't like penne. I only like farfalle. It was something like that. And I was like, well, we don't have anything else to eat. I'm not, I'm really not good with that sort of, that sort of fussiness. I don't mind, you know, a little bit of it. But yeah, so I think they're all right with it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really like my friends reading the books in general. So any of them that have asked me if I can, um, get them one of them I've sort of said oh don't don't read it maybe just don't <laughs> just don't read it because yeah. <laughs> I think it makes people a bit funny towards you sometimes if they sort of have read all your diaries Not yeah sure. yeah no I, I I can totally see that you know when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. But I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that what you're sharing, to me, it feels so vulnerable. And it's like, in terms of it's, it's making you vulnerable and, you know, sharing in, in any capacity, sharing your innermost thoughts with people. You're, you're hoping that people respond by saying, oh my goodness, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what if people respond by going, uh, what? That's, that's a bit weird. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I love Marvin the Magician. What are you talking about? <laughs> but not even with that, with any, with all of your poetry, no, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, the, the first time I came across your work was when Embarrassed went viral. I think it was in 2013. And the YouTube video of you, you performing yeah. Embarrassed yeah. went viral. And to me, it was like, I, I, I had chills watching this video feeling like, cause my daughter was, was probably about three at the time and I had, it was such a recent experience to me feeling embarrassed trying to breastfeed her in a coffee shop and feeling like people were staring at me when actually they probably weren't. They were probably just glancing over and thinking, oh, good for you, love. But in my head, it was like judging stares. Yeah. And I just felt this real connection to the words. But equally, you might have people reading that poem or watching that poem and thinking, what's she talking about? You know? Yeah. Well, I don't, with that, with embarrassed especially, it's such a weird one because I wrote that at the time in the toilet. So I wrote it on my phone in the toilet that I'm talking about in the poem um, because my daughter fell asleep for like an hour after I fed her in the toilet and I didn't move because I was like, well, she's asleep and I can sit down and I'm sitting in a toilet. I have everything I, I need it's... right here. I have, yeah, I have a I seat guess. and it's, and it's quiet. <laughs> yeah. The awful thing is though, I was actually sitting in a cafe about half an hour before and then she needed fed and I was too worried feeding her in a cafe. So I went to a toilet and then she sat for an hour, which is why I was so angry because I thought if I'd have just fed her in the cafe, she'd now be asleep. I could put her in a pram and I could sit and have a coffee. Yeah. But instead I'm sitting in the toilet because I live in such a ridiculous world that in any way 
any new mum is embarrassed for whatever reason to feed their kid. Like yeah. I was so, <laughs> so fuming on this toilet. And I thought if I tried to go back to the cafe now, she's going to wake up. Like if I move her, she's going to wake up. So I, I really, I was <laughs> devastated is probably a bit of a hard word, but a little bit devastated. I thought, I can't believe this culture has made feeding my baby such an ordeal. And physically for me, breastfeeding was not an issue. Like it was so easy physically like it was fine maybe a bit of cramp but nothing really I didn't get mastitis I didn't you know she didn't buy anything like that which I can totally understand why it might make it hellish for some people um but it wasn't it was all psychological and that was still so much and I thought god physically you know and having a baby there all the time and trying to pump if you want to go out all that stuff can be difficult but I didn't really I couldn't really pump very well or I didn't bother trying really after the first time um but it makes me so angry still that it was just like culture that made me feel like or like a cow. That was the first thing I felt like breastfeeding because I'd obviously seen no images of anyone breastfeeding if the first thing that came into my head was a cow. But that that poem, I shared it with my um, daughter's dad, my partner at the time, and he said I should record it. And I was like, no, like nobody else does this. Genuinely didn't. So I did like a little album of motherhood poems and I didn't include it in it and then I got a publishing contract about a, a year later with um or to do a book called papers like my first poetry collection I didn't put it in that book either because I genuinely did not know that anybody else went into toilets to feed so when actually with my daughter's dad kind of pushing me to record that one um and he said look can I record it I, I really think other people will will relate to it and it could do something useful um and then it went viral what was that like when when because funnily enough when i was when i was researching i was just like you know googling um googling you which isn't creepy <laughs> at all is it um before this interview i always google my guests just to you know when i'm doing with yeah. my questions i googled you so don't worry <laughs> <laughs> um but i discovered that back in 2013 i'd written a blog post about embarrassed I was like oh my goodness I've just discovered this video and it's amazing and you know (laughs) and it's gone viral and pink even shared it on twitter and so even things like that I'm like oh wow that's pretty cool that pink shared your poem even now I'm like oh um what was it like when that because it really exploded didn't it it really exploded but it (laughs) like of all the poems to go viral it's a shame that it's that one I think but Obviously, for my uh, being known as a writer and having things shared, it was amazing. But it was also quite depressing, like uh, (laughs) just thinking, oh, so it isn't just me that's like feels horrendously embarrassed to feed my daughter. It's like millions of other people like that is quite a depressing reason for a poem to be shared. So for me, from like a selfish point of view, obviously great and also got me really you know noticed by the agent who then I sent all the other poems to and then nobody told me was published you know all of that brilliant for me but the reason that that poem went viral is because so many people could relate to sitting in toilets to feed their kid because they felt so embarrassed by a culture that still can't get over the fact that we can like a lover to suck our nipples and a baby to suck our nipples. <laughs> like, that's it. And do you think, I mean, do you think that's changed much? That was, you know, that was good 10 years ago that you wrote that 
that poem. I mean, obviously, you haven't got much recent experience of breastfeeding children in cafes, but you no, know, I, from, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope don't just go around trying. There's definitely um, more conversation around it, I think, now compared to ten years ago. There's more conversation, but there's also more, like you know, there's more newspaper articles about oh, this mum was like shamed for breastfeeding. Like even Mm. recently in lockdown, there was a mum who was told by the police that exercising doesn't include breastfeeding. So she stopped. I think it was up in like, um, I think it was in York. I think it was near where the other two women were stopped for like having a picnic because they would took flasks of tea on their walk with each other. So don't tell me the, the, the woman breastfeeding wasn't told that it was a picnic, was she? Yeah, 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 yeah. She was told. <laughs> so I put on Twitter the story of um, the two women going for a walk, and then somebody said my friend last week um, in a similar area was told by a, a, a police woman. Um, or female policeman, police person. I'm not sure what the word is that I'm meant to be using. Police officer. Um, police officer, that's the one. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> police officer. Oh. Um, yeah, that she couldn't sit on the bench to feed her baby. She had a toddler with her as well, because then that counted as a picnic and not exercise. Oh, and that sort goodness. of thing. Like, really good that this is getting picked up on as ridiculous, but yeah. also loads of, I guess, young um, pregnant girls that I worked with on certain like poetry writing things or like new mums often younger new and teenage mums every time they see an article like that it's not like oh good Mm. you know people are getting shown up it's like oh my god if I go outside and breastfeed maybe I'll get stopped it taps into their fears doesn't it yeah so I'm not sure I'm not sure which way it's going and also it's not like our society's really got that much better about sex that there was a brilliant um quote which I wanted to put in in my next book, but I couldn't afford it basically because you have to pay to quote. Um, you have people. to pay for quotes. Yeah, if they're from um, songs, especially or oh. like um, books or stuff like that. So I've I've managed to get the ones that I really wanted in, but I had to get rid of some of them. Um, unless the person's been dead for a long, long time, then it's normally okay. Yeah. But it was about the fact that people can't, like breasts shatter the boundary between motherhood and sexuality. Mm. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, we're still so, we're so weird about it. And I don't think it's to do with breastfeeding at all. I think it's to do with a baby sucking on a woman's breast. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And, 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 you know, lots of, <laughs> like you were talking about the replies to embarrassed and I got a lot of, hate for it as well which I guess you just do if anything's shared a lot you're going to get a certain yeah. percentage of yeah. hate but weird stuff the, the crazies come out yeah. and you know but but not even that like women on like a, I think it was like Heat or Grazia or it was like a a women's magazine that shared it and then there was a, a woman wrote like a very calm comment about um would would that poet like to see me give a blowjob to my husband at a restaurant while she was eating the same i know but and also i probably would like just (laughs) she assumed like can you imagine like it's so boring sometimes i was like to be fair if i was sat in a cafe breastfeeding again and reading the same book that i'm not really reading a live sex show probably be alright but yeah to compare it to that and then other people I don't mind people that are sort of so against it that I feel like it's easy to kind of argue with and yeah. think oof something but the people the worst thing about breastfeeding is when people say can you just do it discreetly those mm. are the people that I would like to like punch in the face more than anyone else like I find it that sort of 
polite middle classness actually bucks up more it's really than the people that you just know are really against stuff discreetly it's like oh mate you honestly try to use one of those feeding cloths like try to use this it's so hard having a baby like it shouldn't be hard to feed your baby if you yeah. choose to breastfeed yeah. um but yeah i think if i i'm, I'm like ready to do it now <laughs> i was yeah. really young then and i took every comment to heart but now i'd be like fuck you yeah <laughs> but then i'm kind of the same even with like the whole breastfeeding thing that you so, saw you know when my eldest was a baby i was i i was mortified to do it in a cafe and like i said before yeah. just assumed that everyone was judging me and found me offensive yeah. and then i've got two-year-old twins and oh, wow. i didn't breastfeed them in public because i it's really hard to breastfeed two babies at the I same imagine. time in yeah. public without literally just whipping your top off and you know I just yeah. felt that was going a bit far but I was kind of annoyed because I was like no but right now I feel like I'm comfortable to breastfeed one baby in public and now I'm kind of being robbed from the by you know the chance <laughs> yeah totally. to do it also that's such a good point though because the idea that you say like every time the sort of negative thing about well, why are you trying to make women do it in public it's like I'm not trying to make them sometimes I wanted to go into a toilet because I thought today I think this milk is going to spurt across the room if my daughter even moves her head or you know mm. whatever sometimes you want a private place but if you don't feel comfortable breastfeeding in public you're basically buggered to go outside and yeah. do anything with your life other than sit or walk within a like 100 meter perimeter of your house yeah. the whole time basically yeah. so this idea of like why do you need to do it outside it's like because babies aren't robots and i had a life before i had a baby and i need to go yeah. shopping and my mental health matters and yeah and per, yeah that also like just for that reason not even if you need to do stuff but so that i find amazing but yeah. also like you say with twins i'd had three friends that have had twins and yeah, I don't think any of them did. It's like such more of an ordeal having, mm. um, yeah, I just can't imagine. Well done. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> That's thanks. very, very amazing. <laughs> and oh, sorry, just one more thing I yeah. find, like doing the video for Embarrassed, because I did a different video for that poem. And um, it was funny having a list of all the, like, I guess, diversity that I wanted in the video and to do with breastfeeding and feeding um, in general. While I was doing that video, I noticed that there are no pictures of women together where one of them is bottle feeding, one of them is breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing I find the most um, negative in all the campaigns for infant feeding. There's normally either bottle feeding, like this is fine for God's sake if you don't want to breastfeed or if you can't or, you know, whatever. Um, and then for breastfeeding, it's like this is totally natural and, you know, um, that these are the support lines or whatever. But most of the time, if I was feeding with a friend, like one of us had a bottle, one of mm. us had a boob or different. And I feel like there should be a lot more posts. And lots of people like do both as yeah. well, which yeah. is never really shown. I didn't even realise that until I had a baby. I was like, oh, you can actually do both of them. Yeah, you, you're kind of led to believe <laughs> that you have to choose a camp. It's like, no, pick and you stay in that camp and that is what you've chosen. But actually, yeah, yeah that's absolute bollocks, isn't, isn't it? it? And, and there's sort of when you have lots of women, which I think are great when they go and like breastfeed in public in big gatherings. But there as well, it's always a picture of like 10 women in a line breastfeeding. It's like, why not five bottle feeding and five breastfeeding? I think yeah. it would be better. It's not like 
Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not like an enemy army when you're a mum. I think, I think we've probably got still got a long way to go with all of this, haven't we? I think that's probably a fair... It's so um, weird though, huh? It's like literally, it's about feeding a kid. It's I know. like, it's so weird. It's the least <laughs> controversial thing ever, isn't it? I mean, it's just ridiculous. I know. Um, so your new book, Slug, is out on the 13th of May. The, the full title, am I right, is Slug and Other Things I've Been Told to Hate. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, tell me about the title. What's what's that all about? Um, it's just it's mainly about taboos. So, not taboos. I guess from having seen so much stuff about feeding and parenting and motherhood, um, it made me even more annoyed at our culture because I feel like the things that we don't talk about are the things that are totally normal, really, or everyday mm. stuff. And then I started thinking about other things that I'd been kind of told to hate. And it's not hate is maybe too strong a word, but the idea of like seeing a woman with a baby on a boob, like I've sort of been told that that's weird or that I should be a bit disgusted by it, which is so ridiculous. And sort of thinking about all the other things that you just sort of, you sort of take your brain for granted, huh? Like things that you're disgusted by or things that you find uncomfortable we seem to think that's because they must be. Well, that's yeah. a natural thing, but it's not. It's our upbringing or our culture or whatever. So, so the book's about things like that. So the, the, it's got seven sections in it with poems and stories and prose in each section. And it's got a section on grief and like endings and death, basically, which is another thing that I don't think we talk about a lot at all enough. Um, and then growing up, which is mainly about stuff like teenage years being told that you know not to go out like that as a girl Mm -hmm. like all that kind of culture of oh well if you're wearing that like you should expect this sort of treatment and also the kind of the design and a dress up like boys dressing up in girls clothes and girls dressing up in boys clothes and how like we're just we're, we're so I think this culture is just so ridiculous like we're so angry about certain things and at the moment I guess all the transphobia and stuff and just kind of picking it apart from me growing up and, and the sex education at school, there's a section on masturbation, a section on parenting, which has lots of soppy poems, but it's also about the sort of boredom sometimes of parenting or the idea that as a mum, you can't then be a bit of a slag in a positive way, I guess is what <laughs> I mean. Like this idea that now you're a mum, you've got to be like polite and call yourself mummy and stuff like that. And I can't, can't handle it. And then, yeah, there's a section on mirrors and selfies and stuff like that. And you're sort of been told to hate your own reflection basically by a lot of different companies and then there's a section on blood which is mainly uh, about periods and yeah. then the section on strangers which I've been told to hate strangers but I guess I realized in lockdown as well as you know being being wary of strangers which you should be but I also realized how much I missed people I didn't know mm-hmm. <laughs> just being around strangers so yeah it's, it's just all the things that I'm picking apart um yeah I guess masturbation is the one I've practiced the most in lockdown to get over <laughs> <laughs> like... the, one of the ones that really jumped out for me was lie back and think of Scotland um, <laughs> which is about talking about oral sex with your grandmother isn't it I mean that's yeah. a pretty taboo subject I think to be covering <laughs> yeah but yeah it, yeah it is but again I guess I don't think it should like if if I think of how positive I find oral sex currently and how demonized it is or how it's just seen as this like especially blowjobs I guess this sort of 
I don't know, sort of it's seen as like it's a sexist thing or it's like, you know, push a woman's head down or whatever if it's in heterosexual couples. Um, but how lovely it can be and also how safe it can be compared to the safe sex I got taught at school. Um, <clears throat> I just started thinking that basically my safe sex education, I said in the book, was like a condom on a carrot. It was all about penetration, all about heterosexual penetration. Um and I thought that is, that's the least safe sex you can have. Even with a condom, it's still less safe than like fingering or whatever. So yeah, I was talking to my gran. I talked to my gran a lot about sex, a lot in my, in my life. Just one of my grands. I wouldn't have dared talk to the other one. So you had um, one, one that you were like, this is cool. We can chat about this. And then the other yeah, you were like, no and way. It ho- yeah, it horrified my mum. She's like, <laughs> why do you two always get into these conversations? But just, so it was so good, but so sad because, that my grandma was so open about stuff because she's so romantic as well. Um, and I wrote that poem after she'd said that sex was the biggest disappointment of her life. Mm. And I think that's similar to the sort of me not enjoying breastfeeding in a way where I could have actually been really comfortable with it. Same with pregnancy. Like, I feel like I want my pregnancy back and without all the cultural crap surrounding it because I didn't enjoy it and I felt like I'd done something wrong and I felt like my body was a bit gross. You know, some days I found it amazing, but mostly I thought, okay, I'm married, I'm too young, all these different stuff, and I want it back. I feel like our culture has robbed my grandma of an orgasm ever in her life. I feel like it robs millions of people from like really nice sexual or pleasurable experiences. Um, I feel like it robbed me of just being comfortable breastfeeding, like all these things. It was not like nothing to do with me, nothing physical. It wasn't really other people. It was just our culture. Yeah. Um, it's that, <laughs> it's that thing though, isn't it, where, you know, as we go through life, we become kind of, we learn about how we feel about things and we learn to disregard other people's opinions or, you know, just, yeah. and, and, how, and how much of what society is telling us we agree with and how much we're just like, nah, no, that's a load of rubbish. Totally. So you, you do want to kind of go back and like relive stuff knowing what you know now and feeling how you feel now so that you can, I guess, get a better experience out of it, don't you? Yeah, totally. I think it's more than that with stuff though now, like being, because I think, oh, you know, now I'm in, well, when I got into my sort of late 20s and 30s, I guess with the sexual stuff, I started thinking about it more. But um, but I don't want, uh, also it's, it's, I don't think it's just a personal journey. I think it's, it's our sex education, which is homophobic, mm. sexist, very much based on the sort of, well, mine was sort of Christian, Virgin Mary, penetrative sex kind of model, like reproductive sex. So that's all you can teach because apparently you're trying to make a baby every time. And, um, and I don't, I don't want my daughter or any young girl to go through years of just not that pleasurable sex. I don't think they have to. We could just change the education. Yeah. Like, I don't think obviously some boys do. But the sort of timeline that I've been reading in terms of things like masturbating, learning about your own body, loads of girls like give somebody else an orgasm before they ever have one themselves. Mm. All the girls I worked with who were um, teenage mums didn't enjoy any sex, yet it's their sluttiness that's been blamed for them getting pregnant. And stuff like that I find incredibly sad 
but also quite easy to change with just education. So I don't, I don't want every girl to go through years of thinking, mm, I'm not really enjoying this as much as it shows me on the films that I'm enjoying. Some man sort of banging me for three seconds and then coming inside me and then walking away. I'd rather they just are all right masturbating when they're younger and learn what they like in the same sort of timeline that most boys learn about sex, heterosexual boys probably more than others. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think partly it's sort of that journey and getting more confident and partly it's just the load of shit that you're told growing up <laughs> through education and the media. Yeah, and also your parents as well because we, you know, we, we parent not always in the, the most ideal way. And we, we take on so much of how we were parented and, the, you know, yeah. the things that our parents said to us. And you just, you're def- that's your default quite often until you actually challenge that. Yeah, and they've got, I, you know, I, <laughs> it's funny you should say that. My mum was like, Holly, all your books make me look like a terrible mother. Like, nobody <laughs> told me. I'm the one that should have told you. So I obviously didn't tell you. So she was like, I can't believe that's the title. Um and I was like, yeah, but you didn't tell me loads of things. You did tell me a lot, but you didn't tell me stuff because you've had the same culture, like even worse than the one I was brought up in. Yeah. So, you know, if, <laughs> yeah, and it's the same with Slug. My mom was like, oh my God, great. Now everyone knows I gave you no sex education, <laughs> like none of this. I was like, but you were brought up by my gran who had even less, didn't even know what it was really. And then you like told me more than she did. Um so yeah, I don't think, I think people are in their culture and it's not, I find it really, um, I guess from putting up a lot of poems about things like the fact that we should just use the word vulva and vagina in the yeah. proper sense. For example, this is like an example of that kind of thing. Like it's like testicle and penis. You're not going to tell your son that they're like the same or call the penis testicle. You just don't do it. So but I'm still not comfortable with saying the word vulva, even though I've written it so many times and said it because it is not, I'm not in a sort of very liberal community like that. So it annoys me more when, if I put stuff like that up, some people are like, oh, I just can't. Oh, I just can't. Oh, it's just weird. Like that doesn't annoy me as much because I think that there is a lot of cultural pressure for us to find this stuff weird. But yeah. it is just cultural pressure. It's not, it's not our brain not being able to say the word vulva. Literally culture has made that word weird to say. It's funny though, isn't it? Because it's a I mean, word, eh? This, <laughs> this is talked about, but not enough. And it's vulva still isn't a word that is used enough. When you think about how, how often you hear the word penis and how that's, that it doesn't make you kind of shudder or quiver. It just it is what it is. And so many people use the word vagina when they mean vulva. For vulva. But that's, it's just historical. Like it's been banned for centuries <laughs> by the church, by kings, by, you know, it's like so much stuff. It's because it's got the clitoris and all the sensual areas, yeah. hasn't it? Not that the vagina isn't as well, but the vagina's all right because it's to do with babies only, apparently. Exactly. It's, um, it's, it's medical, it's functional, it's, you know, it's yeah. there for a reason. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's more the like really liberal people that reply like, oh, for God's sake, can we still, can we just get over this? It's so ridiculous when like a parent can't use the word. It's like, it's not ridiculous. Mm. And the first time I used it, and I remember my daughter used it in front of my like family, they were like, oh my God, like, what are you teaching her? Like, it's not like, not everyone comes from a very open culture about stuff. So yeah, and some people quite often say like, oh, we've got this t-shirt that I think you'll love. Shall we send you one? And it's like, a picture of a vulva or it'll say like love your vulva it's like I'm not like that's I'm not that's not I'm where I'm flying I'm at, the flag really. for the vulva I don't live in 
central London in a, <laughs> in a poetry commune, that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it. Yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. It's, it's about having a balance, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I'm more I'm more interested to make it more normal for people that find it as horrendous as I did about four years ago. Well, I think that I think that reading slug is a good place for people to start, especially when you know they they, they perhaps want their stereotypical views have been ingrained in them for years if they want those views to be challenged and they want to be thinking a bit outside the box and you know thinking a bit differently it's a really nice way to I guess explore that so well done thanks so slug is out on the 13th of may and your other books are available to buy um online um, but finally, Holly, where can people find you online if they want to hear more from you? Because you, you do share quite a lot of poetry on social media, don't you? Yeah, I just share it as I write it really often. Um, so Holly Poetry, basically it's H-O-L-L-I-E and then poetry. So that's the same on Twitter. It's the same on Instagram. It's the same on... Facebook. The other one? Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and then hollypoetry.com is my website. So that has all like tour dates, <laughs> hopeful with my fingers yeah. crossed tour dates. Um, up oh, online. fingers crossed you get back to touring. I bought my mum a ticket to go and see you in Glasgow. I think it was last oh. April and then it was pushed back to September. <laughs> yeah, so. And then I don't know whether it's been pushed back or if it's just a TBC, but she is desperate to come and see you live. Um, she's in her 70s and she, you know, she quite often sends me poems that you've written and kind of chortling about them. Um, so really hope you get back to touring soon. Yeah, me too. We'll tell you, Mum, thanks a lot. And yeah, until then, I'll just do gigs yes. online. It's yes, fine too. which we're loving. <laughs> um, Holly, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, that's, that's all right. Thanks for having me. It's very nice. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.